0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Griplock, Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor, and we've got quite the show this week. Yeah. Uh, We got a lot to talk about going on in the disc golf world. We had Jonesboro last weekend, and we are currently in the midst of USCGC and WNC. I was about to say the one and only, but the two and only two majors, Uh, one for the MPO, one for the FPO field, Uh, the only majors we're going to see of 2020. Um, so as of recording this, the MPO coverage is happening right now. The FPO coverage already happened. Um, as it is pretty much only live right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, we watched the FPO coverage. So we'll talk some about that. And we watched the beginning of the MPO coverage and then we're missing an hour of it to shoot this podcast. So you will see it tomorrow, Thursday. Um, we should release it in the morning if you watch it right when it comes out, but, uh, we've only seen part of Wednesday's coverage. So we're not going to talk too much about the event score wise or anything like that. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on at the event and coverage and obviously some of the storylines that the Jonesboro Open brought up. So, first and foremost, I want to go over some of the results from Jonesboro. Uh, we had Calvin taking it down by one over Paul in second, and then Double G came in, coming in third. Over on the FPO side, we had an absolute dominant performance by Paige Pierce, yeah. taking her to a 13-stroke win over Katrina Allen second and Haley King third. And then on the Dark Horse picks... We had my boy, Jeff Corns taking down, was it Zach Dumond? Is that who you had? Yeah, Zach Dumond. Not so, his
1: best weekend.
0: So, uh, first off, I want to talk through Calvin's performance. Um, he had bookend 12 under pars. Uh, first round, he, he was tied with Paul at 12 down. Mm-hmm. Uh, second round, I don't want to say he fell off, but I think he shot like a seven or somewhere in there. He shot a, a middle-of-the-road round yeah. to allow Paul to take a three-stroke lead. Right. And then the third round, he just came back out firing again. Yeah. Uh, What did you see in Calvin's game that that kind of stood out that you think helped propel him to this win this weekend? I mean,
1: yeah, Calvin's just consistent. Like, that's that's what makes him so good. Um, I wouldn't categorize him as an overly aggressive player. For one thing, um, the moment certainly doesn't get to him. I Mm. mean, to be able to go toe-to-toe with Paul – down the stretch and just hold him off is is really hard to do and cuz Paul did what he had to do coming down the stretch I mean I know he eagled I think it was 14 um and then got As
0: the, did I think Calvin Well did yeah as exactly yeah. he answered
1: it right yeah. and so he also eagled a few down the stretch uh, or birdied a few down the stretch rather and um yeah was just able to hold him off and a lot of people can't do that they get caught up in that moment when they know they're going toe to toe with the best in the game um so yeah I mean what I've always noticed with Calvin is like putting especially ice water in his
0: veins. Absolutely.
1: Nailed that putt on what was it, 17, right?
0: Yeah, nailed might be. He made the putt. He made the putt. Regardless he it made It was a a baller move.
1: Yeah, it was a sick putt. And you know, yeah, he's just he's just ice cold. Calvin I've said I've been on the Calvin train since the beginning of the, since I joined this podcast and I I still think, you know, marketability wise, you know, that's one thing. But like, you can't, you can't deny the dude is just good at disc golf. He's very, he's very much a robotic player. Like, yeah, he throws like the same shots over and over again, but they work very consistently. He doesn't do anything that shocks you as far as shot choices, but he consistently gets it done. And you know, that's why I'm curious to see what he does at the USDGC because it's a course where. You stay in bounds and just execute, and you will play well.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's coming into it off of a, a very, very solid performance. You normally, in a tournament like this, I feel like on our podcast or or uh, just general disc golf talk, a lot of times this story is where Paul slipped up. Right. I personally watching this event, I don't feel like Paul slipped up. No, I mean, I feel c- like Calvin just played that good.
1: Yeah, he could. Paul could have played better. I mean, um, obviously, was four strokes worse than Calvin. Uh, in that final round, but it certainly wasn't like oh, Paul gave it away exactly. It, Calvin, Calvin took it. Calvin took it for sure. Yeah, and
0: Calvin. Yeah. So like, I think this just kind of showed that Calvin has reached that point where he's comfortable being there, right? Comfortable being in that position for the win. Yeah, and has the instincts to keep his foot on the gas and get yeah. the win.
1: Calvin knows how to win. There's a lot of guys um, at the top of the game. You know, Eagle's one I've said before. Like Eagle McMahon, it might be the best disc golfer on the planet. As far as just straight up arm talent, but I don't really think he knows how to win yet, uh, and that's something you can. Some guys are, just have that instinct. Some guys kind of have to figure it out, and I think Calvin Calvin knows how to win. Like he seems to have that killer instinct down the wire to be able to hold off good players, not get worked up, uh, and put guys away. Because that's ultimately you can be as good as you want. Uh, Because there are a lot of players who have a lot of arm talent and just don't quite have the mental capacity, Mm. like as far as staying in their game and, you know, staying focused to to close out tournaments and win. You know, the game could look a lot different if more people were walking around with that Paul McBeth or Calvin Heimberg mindset of just not letting anything get It's a tough,
0: like, skill set. You almost can't acquire it, it's very difficult to learn. it's, It's something that you are like just the way you are. Right. raised almost a lot of people uh, are just
1: kind of wired differently yeah and i yeah. think
0: paul has proven uh, i think ricky's proven to yeah th- they ricky both, has it yeah they have that um we've seen other players in the past as well and i'm sure there's other players on tour that do they just might not have the talent to to consistently right. be up there but um right. you know I, I think to be honest with you i feel like if kevin jones was a little bit more consistent i feel like he's the type of player that has that instinct too. to where the thing with eagle I don't know if it's not that he he doesn't have that, like, killer instinct to win, whereas, like, the thing that confuses me about it is where he doesn't check the scores coming down the stretch. Right. So it's hard to know when to kick it in. Yeah. If he has, like, the scoreboard behind him, he can kind of feel his card, but sometimes you need to yeah. look at it and know. And there there is something
1: to be said in the game of golf of, like, it's you versus the course, but that's not a... that's not. That can be a first three rounds. That can be a first three rounds plus nine holes mindset and speaking in a four round setting. But when you're coming down the stretch, the game isn't, it's no longer you versus the course. It's you having to play chess with the guys that are right around you on the leaderboard because they are going to be decisions that you need to make that are no longer just pertaining to you doing what you can control, but also, you know, trying to working around the leaderboard. Yeah. Forcing their hand because they're paying attention to the scoreboard you know so they they're going to be watching you to see if you lay that up or if you run that putt and that's going to change what they do so there comes a time where i mean it's admirable to not pay attention to the scores when you don't need to be during those you know early rounds um but eventually yeah you've got to be aware and of that.
0: i almost think it's like a different a different type of instinct killer instinct for eagle where he's he might not have the killer instinct of like i'm going to put you away but his yeah. instinct is i'm just going to play the course as aggressive and as Like, I'm going to stick to my game plan no matter what. And if that gets me the win, that gets me the win. If that doesn't, that doesn't. To where it's not necessarily a coming down the stretch, I know what I need to do. I think if we were in a major, if he's on USCGC going into hole 17 this upcoming weekend, he'll know where he's at. Uh, You You know, I think think that there's... He's got
1: quite a hike up that hill to figure it out.
0: (laughs) I think there's a a difference, you know, between, hey, I'm just going to this pro tour. I feel really great. I'm going to just focus on my game and just see where it takes me. And even when he said, like, oh, I won? Like, what? He thought in his head he'd putted for the tie. So he right. had a general idea of where he was at, but not to the point of looking at disc and being like, oh, okay, so, you know, I-, I need to make this for the win, or I right. need whatever it is. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, we had a very close battle with the MPO. FPO, this has got to be one of the most dominant performances we've seen. It was a runaway. It, and one thing that I loved about this tournament, uh, and i don't remember the, when the first time i said it on this podcast was but one of the things i loved about this tournament is if you look at like the top of the fpo leaderboard mm-hmm. and compare it to the top of the mpo leaderboard right scores are looking very similar so why now why is that important um because every time i talk about this the same comments come up of well that doesn't matter par is relative right uh like Paige shooting 33 down and calvin shooting 31 down the score under par doesn't matter because you, it's a stroke game you're playing the course I get that as a player that makes sense go out shoot the best you can whatever as a fan that's not like the, the same thing that's not the case par does matter as a fan because as a fan if you didn't watch the FPO and I did okay and I'm like dude I walk up to you the next day I'm like Paige shredded the final round and you're like oh what'd she shoot I'm like she shot two down yeah then that just is like okay a bit deflating yeah yeah whereas in this case I would come up to you Paige shredded the final round you're like what'd she shoot 14 down it yep. doesn't matter that they they might both be 1044 rated, okay? it's true. But it being 14 down puts this little more just like, oh, frick, like that's a hot round on our minds. So I think this was a perfect example of the FPO field, the course being designed and set up for their game to where they can shoot, you know, use their skills, the more technical side, you know, they don't, a lot of them don't have the same type of pushing distance and stuff like that that the MPO side has used this, like making the pars and stuff fit the FPO skill set so that we can see scores like this. That is great for the FPO field. In my opinion, I think so.
1: It makes uh-huh. a better headline. It's a lot more exciting. Yeah.
0: And I think that's something that's going to help get more people in is because now if I'm just a fan and I heard page shot 14 down the final round, I'm, and maybe that's just me, but I'm a lot more you likely know, to go back and watch that round than I am. If you told me yeah. page shot two down or one up or three down or whatever it may And be. it's so
1: true. Like, I've lately I've seen like a, I've been getting a lot of people into disc golf and like seeing a lot of beginners uh play the game and my mindset is very much pars relative like don't worry about those numbers yeah. um and, but when I'm playing with them you know I'll be out there playing with you know my fiance where we're trying to like explain the game and show her how to play and you know she'll you know if she makes like a really good 5 on a hole you know, all they're thinking is bogey, the beginners. You know, bogey, birdie, and par, like, resonate way more than the number. Yeah. So, like, making those birdies um, more reasonable to achieve, it really does have a more positive effect on the game, I think. Yeah. Even, even for the
0: players, I think. Yeah. Because as a player, like... it's it's de- It would be, like, deflating if I went out and I right. tore up the course, I'm like, two over. And there's right. courses like that for MPO, too. Right. Like, if you go play... I think Northwoods is a good example. You know, a lot of the MPO field is going to be around par or over par. You know, a very, very hot rounds like nine under. That course can beat you up, you know. Yeah. And I'm all for courses getting tougher and getting away from shooting like 15, 16 down. Yeah. But at the same time, on the FPO side, I'm for courses getting not necessarily easier just the, like want, similar to what yeah the MPO i want the, i want the mpo and fpo scores to so match kind up. of a line yeah because i think that is something that kind of plays into this whole uh thing of like people not wanting to watch the fpo because they the number one reason you hear is it's like it's boring right and i can way more electric when people are hitting putts for eagle even yeah. if it's a 400 foot hole and that putt was for eagle that just sounds way better than that was for Birdie.
1: I can say just watching, you know, the uh, FPO coverage of the U.S. or the uh, it's their national championship. Yeah, though. women's nationals. Um, you know that they're playing a slightly easier layout there at Winthrop, and it's I really enjoyed watching it more yeah. than uh, more than I have uh, recently because yeah, they're all the holes were very much attackable for them, and a lot of times it's just as simple as shortening up the tee pad, mm-hmm. and it makes all the difference in the world and it yeah. makes it a lot more exciting, I think, for them and for the spectators. Yeah,
0: I think people, a lot of times people will come at the opposite side and be like, well, shortening it up, then that just makes it look more boring. And I don't think so. You don't, you could barely you tell the difference, exactly. right? Exactly.
1: You can barely tell the difference. A lot of the holes, and maybe it works, probably works better at some courses than other. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, especially, oh, it probably works a lot better at open courses where you're not taking away initial gaps and things like that. But it went through up, especially, like, it's very tough to notice. They're just, you're just kind of like, oh, I think that gap's a little closer, but it, it's not, if you hadn't watched the pool. tournament years and years and years, yeah, you, would you wouldn't know. notice. No, yeah, and that it, it still looks like a real. And it tough allows course. them
0: to score under par. I think going right. into tomorrow, the FPO is pretty much done. Um, the majority of the lead card, I won't say who's on it in case people are worried about spoilers somehow with this. Um, the majority of the lead cards under par. I, th- I think, I think it, the
1: whole lead card is. I feel better. one person might be even. Yeah.
0: but you know, it. I think if you look at it percentage wise, I feel like Jonesboro and possibly even USDGC the percentage of the field under par to over par is going to be very similar to the mpo field right. which i think is great for women's disc golf because i think that is just going to make more people more interested when you have people shooting 14 down in their final round and 33 down for the tournament and that's good yeah um and on top of it having a player absolutely dominate like page is exciting to watch regardless yeah um which we know we can talk about if that makes disc golf boring having a player dominate. But no, Paige is fun it to watch. She's a ton of fun to watch. She's super good. Yeah. And she's, it, it's sickening how good she is. So yeah. I'm trying to think what she averaged this weekend. I know her final round was like 1040 something rated. I think she shot all three of her rounds were over a 1,000 rated. What she um, finished at, like 33 down? 33, yeah. It, it was an insane performance Uh, and something that obviously had to be talked about there. Um, so now we're going to move on to, I hope you're ready for this. It's time for Trevor's Trivia. I'm ready. Uh, so this is going to be USDGC themed to kind of prep, or well, at least I think it is. Yes. Okay. It's going to be USDGC themed to kind of prep us for the talks about the USDGC, which, like I said, started today or yesterday by the time you're listening to this today for us. Um, so let's hear what you got. How many questions you got this week? I got three questions three for questions. you.
1: Three uh, questions. Shout out to the Discord for giving me some of these ideas.
0: Um, if you want to join our Discord, link's in the description below. Right yes Uh, i will lots uh, of lots of if you like disc golf and talking with other disc golfers is one of the better places to be it's very
1: fun the live tournament chat we've been in there today it's it's a lot of fun to kind of feel like you're watching with everybody especially during covid um all right first question This, this one's a little bit tough but you you know some things that surprise me sometimes so as you know the usdgc they have these rocks these commemorative rocks there was like a trend for a while where like everybody's stable rock in their bag to play for them had one of these rock I got the oh five oh six yeah, rock yeah, yeah so they actually called this rock their and I quoted this primary source of funding for the tournament. That's, Interesting. Yeah. They keep track of these things. They have like these like uh lists um for like every single one they make so that and people can like claim like have their names on it. So the question is what was the first year they they made these?
0: The first year they made commemorative rocks. Yeah. Well, the tournament started in ninety-seven, I think. No. Ninety-ninety-nine. Yes. Ninety-nine. Um, ninety-seven is my birth year, so I should have known that because, like, twenty years old. Uh, so I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say two. Mm, gonna say two
1: thousand and three. Two thousand and one. Dang it. I wasn't sure. It's not, I knew the only way, reason you would know that is if you had like had a knowledge of these rocks to know I, that there's an 01 rock.
0: Only reason I knew it wasn't 99 is because you wouldn't have asked me the question if they always had it. And so <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I'll go a few years after. <laughs> yeah. I didn't
1: know if you knew if you had knowledge of those rocks or not. I'm
0: not sure. I, I was never a big rock collector. I, mean, I was never I'm, super
1: into it. I never had one. I always wanted one. And I know like when I first got into it, you could get like... 2012 2013 those were like a couple years before my time um and they were like 70 dollars 80 dollars on certain sites and i was like oh so
0: tempted (laughs) but then rock
1: threes came out and solved everybody's problem
0: yeah i was never a big rock collector
1: (laughs) yeah so all right question number two so in the this is an interesting one in the past five years who has the most top 10 finishes in the mpo division
0: in the last five?
1: In the last five years, he was the most top 10 finishes. I got this question from Discord and it was fact-checked very well.
0: I don't think it's Paul. Because the last five years, he won in 2015, won in 2018. 2019, he was outside the top five. Or top 10? Top five. This is top 10 finishes. Top 10. He was outside the top 10 in 2019. Um, and 2016, I feel like he didn't have a great showing either. Um but last five goes back to 2014 or are you saying 2015 to now
1: 15 16
0: 17 18 19 okay which one which year am i missing 15 16 17 oh 17 i don't know what he did in 17 um so i don't think it's paul i'm thinking players that are always near the top dang i don't actually really know um Sexton, I feel like, has a lot of top 10 finishes at the USDGC. I feel like he's always in like 6th or 7th. He's always up there. But is that the most? I mean, if he was 5 for 5, it'd be the most. I'm going to go Sexton. I'm going to go Nate Sexton.
1: Okay. It's actually Ricky with four of them. Ricky. Four out of five. There was a couple guys that had three. Ricky was like it was like it was like two was seconds, one of those three? third, and fifth. I think uh, Sexton did okay. have three. That yeah. makes
0: me feel better, at least. Ricky was. I was thinking through when you the... think of USCTC, you normally see like Sexton up top. You normally see Ricky up top. Paul is normal. If Paul's up top, I feel like he's kind of like winning, or he's not up top. I don't. Right. That could be incorrect. That's just how my mind works.
1: Here I have it here. So Ricky has a fifth, second, third, and second. Uh, actually, Sexton might not have been on there. St- Oh yeah, Sexton had a fourth, a first and fourth. Uh Colling had a second, first and a tenth. Yeah, Culling was another one. Another Dickerson one. had a fifth, a tenth, and a tenth. Dickerson's Eagle, surprising. Eagle had three, McBeth had three, Doss had three, Yuli had three. Quite a few guys. Doss three. had
0: three in the last five years.
1: Eighth, eighth and third.
0: That's even more impressive because he hasn't he didn't play last year. He might not have played the year before. He might have went three for three before yeah. he missed two.
1: Yeah, Ricky with the uh
0: all right, what's the, uh, what's the right, final one? Final question. I probably should have guessed, Rick.
1: This one I just, I just learned about. Um, I didn't even know this. Well, I think I'd heard of this once before, but this is pretty crazy. So during the 2003 USDGC, Ken Climo and Barry Schultz battled in a legendary sudden death playoff. How many holes was the playoff? Who won? And which hole did it end on? I will tell you that they do the three-hole loop that is still... Yeah, the 1-17-18. Yes.
0: Um, Barry Schultz won, I believe. That is correct. um I'm gonna say it ended on. Dang, I'm gonna say I feel like I've heard of it. Would have started on one for some reason. Nine holes in my head. It's so if it started on one, <laughs> I better get at least this math right. If I say nine holes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do they replay eighteen to start? Um, I'm trying to think back to the 2014 playoff. I feel like they walked back to 18's tee.
1: I think they did.
0: So if they started on 18, yeah. So then four. I'm just counting all the way through. Eight. <laughs> I don't know why this is so hard in my head. Uh, so I'm going to say 17.
1: And the answer was 10 holes. They ended on 18.
0: Okay, at least I have my math right yeah. what <laughs> I was waiting to see if that was going to add up. <laughs> That's why I got on my hands. I was like, yeah. I'm not going publicly on air. I didn't,
1: I like, would um, never really heard of that. And I was just thinking when I read, I was like, could you imagine if we got something like that today? I remember it because, well, mile. I didn't remember,
0: I didn't remember how many holes, but I only heard of it because I believe it was, um, it was one of the Ricky and Paul battles coming down the stretch. And they were just going back and forth at USDGC. Um, I believe it was Ricky and Paul. And we were coming into like 16 or 17. I was standing next to um, Justin Alderman from Innova. Mm-hmm. And it was already starting to get like kind of dark. Cause the round was taking forever. And I was yeah. like, what do we do with a, about a playoff? Like if this thing goes into a playoff, what do we do? And he was like, if it's a few holes, we, we should be okay. Daylight time. He's like, but if it goes on like that, uh, Barry, Ken... Uh, playoff he's like we'll have to stop it and go tomorrow or something like that yeah and so i remember hearing about it then but um i couldn't remember the exact amount of holes you know
1: it's interesting in the in the u.s open in ball golf they there's no sudden death playoff for the u.s open they do the next day they play 18 holes just the two guys could you imagine if disc golf had something like that that would be epic
0: would it though because then like
1: it ends up it ends up being quite interesting because when you got it
0: could be but it also could be like you know eight holes in someone's up by six could be And then you have to play it's a very
1: odd rule and it's very like frustrating when you're watching that tournament you're like oh my gosh i gotta wait another day to see who wins That's i crazy. always like sudden death i like sudden death way more yeah. i feel
0: like there's so much pressure
1: it's it's crazy the fact that they went 10 holes like and played 17 over and over and over and over again and just so they played 17 three times and i think barry schultz chained out for an ace on 17 at one point oh my gosh is yeah. there footage of this
0: there's no, gotta be. i don't think so there's gotta be Maybe. Disc Golf Planet or someone was filming. They the see, but this
1: article they were putting down videos for everything that had videos for, it and they didn't put anything down for it.
0: Someone has it on a VCR or something, probably. If you if you're at home listening or watching, and you happen to have footage of that, find a way. It's got to be so sick to at least get it online to send it to me. Yeah, I want to watch it. It's got to be sick. All right, let's move on then to talk about USDGC in general. Um, so I want to first just kind of talk about the tournament itself. Uh, every year USDGC comes up, there's similar controversies or not even really controversies. There's similar like points that people bring up, talk about, and then they're still around the next year Mm -hmm. and they keep coming up. Um, So I'm a reference back to um, the Ulti World article that I I referenced a few weeks back. It it was an interview between uh, Charlie Eisenhood and the president of the board of the PDGA. So a very high up person at the PDGA. Right. Uh, and so talking about USDGC directly, it was basically the, the general question was, should a manufacturer be able to own a PDGA major is kind of the topic I want to talk on. But he talked to them and said, do you think the PDGA has a responsibility to have more say in the way that a major like USDGC is disseminated? So this is the the board of directors president response. Well, USDGC is not our thing, Right. It's a major and it's an awesome event. One of the biggest and best events out there, but it's run by the folks in Rock Hill. And it just so happens that this year is just unique and they're running a concurrent women's event. It's not usually the case. In fact, you notice the name is different. And it's because it's not actually U.S. women's. And, you know, there's good and bad about that. I think running concurrent with the men's tournament. I think that some of it's good. I just, I love to watch FPO and I watch FPO lead card, second card, just like the men for me. That part isn't what I wanted to bring up. Um, I want to talk about his initial response. Well, the USDGC is not our thing. This is the PDGA, a PDGA major. All right. Uh, going to the second part of these questions, um, the alter would ask again, this is a long standing decision at this point, but do you think that a manufacturer like Innova should be able to have control over one of the sport's three professional majors in the USDGC? And this is the board of director, president response. Yeah, I just don't have much of an issue with it, I guess. Innova's pouring a lot of money into this event. In fact, they've done it for 20 years, right? Yeah, about 20, I think. And so, hey, just keep pouring money into it. And then you know, all of our majors have big sponsors. Glassblown Open's not a major, but it's a big event. Glassblown's kind of dyna- dynamic disc thing and it's awesome too. And it's awesome in a kind of different way. Each manufacturer has its own events or events, and you know, they're pouring money into resources into these events. I think it's great. So two things.
1: What did, did he just say did he just say all majors have Corporate or manufacturer sponsors? What big sponsors.
0: All ma- All of our majors have a big sponsor.
1: Right. Okay. But then he proceeds to name non-majors.
0: He named it an NT and Glassblown. But that's because if you look at the tournament, you know, Glassblown is probably the closest thing to USDGC in that a manufacturer owns it. It's almost like DGLO or Ledgestone. Right. Like Ledgestone is never going to happen outside of Discraft, basically. But the difference with all those is they're not a major.
1: Yeah, well that's that's the and
0: big thing. And another thing too is a sponsor, a title sponsor has no say in how the tournament's ran. Oh, well, exactly, yeah. Whereas this is the opposite way around. Enova's yeah, yeah. the title sponsor of a PDJ Major, <laughs> but the PDJ has no say in how it's ran almost.
1: Right. Having like corporate entities pour money into events, yeah, of course that's a great thing. That's what we that's the goal of the sport. We want that to happen. But yeah, you want them doing that because they want to get exposure, not because they want to run the event
0: well another thing too is let's say that this was an open market where the usdgc is the pdj major and it's on the market every year for bidding yeah it's still at winthrop Mm -hmm. it's still you know it's still down there there's the course is the same blah 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 how much more added cash is coming in if you have now now you can fight between discraft innova dynamic prodigy you're all fighting now,
1: or none of the above, or none of the above, like yeah. or now you're getting LL L. Bean or whoever or, Bushnell,
0: yeah, U-Pong hats. Right, I looked at your hat. Yeah. Now you're getting uh, North Face in. You're getting yeah. someone like this is a prestigious title, right? So yeah. like, who's how much money is are we losing? Yeah. by keeping it there. That's
1: a good point because they can they can set that bar where they want. Yeah, I mean this is the thing with this whole deal is the the bummer is that USDGC. Is like in my opinion, we talked before about like majors needing to have like history behind them and um, having that sense of prestige, you know, down the road. And USDGC is which is the only event that really does a great job of that. I think, uh, like, or they do the best job. I'm not the only yeah. event that does a great job. They're the, they do the best job of it. Like the USDGC to me, because world, worlds, the title itself is the most prestigious but that's only because it's world champion right and that's because disc golf has that's what they put on discs so and so world titles disc golf loves the whole idea of the world champion but the usdgc as an event is like it's run so professionally everybody treats it so special
0: it's one it's like probably the hardest tournament to win it's so
1: hard to win the winner's changing all the time yeah and it's on like the best tournament golf course there is really like as far as challenging the players and just psyching them out and making them crumble like it's so exciting to watch um but innova has that hostage because they did start it yeah in fairness it's not like it started and innova bought it no innova literally created this thing and that's another thing, thing too nothing. is
0: like if you look back in 1999 when it started it's always been an innova event and it's always been a major right it just started as well, a well and the
1: thing is the game was small enough back then that like innova had every right to say like it's not like they were some kind of monopoly back then, like saying, we're going to own the major. They were like, hey, we should have a United States golf Championship. We have the resources to get that going. So let's do it. And they just so happened to still run it, which, if I were them, like from Innova's point of view, of yeah, course. I wouldn't st- give it up. Of course they still own it. Because that's the thing now. You're only. If the PDGA wanted to have all the majors, which, I mean, they're in their position, obviously, they're like, yeah, we don't really care because it doesn't really do much harm to anything. But if they wanted to have it, they would just have to create their own separate thing and then they'd have to compete with a tournament that the players
0: love. Well, see, this is the, the tough thing to me is... Well, I mean, there's another side of this, too. is of like, it's a PDGA major that doesn't even play by PDJ rules. Right. Well, so, yeah, yeah, it's broken. Yeah, no, I... In that sense. I do want to... S- Say I like the USCGC's variant of the oh, rules more than the yeah, PGA. So do I. But if it's a PDGA major, it should play by the current PDGA rules. Right. There shouldn't be it's this. Quite odd. There shouldn't be this thing of, yeah, you know, I averaged 1080 at USCGC, but my rating's going to go down because it doesn't count. Like it just it yeah. doesn't count towards it. That doesn't make sense to me. But as far as a someone owning a PDGA major, it makes no sense at all to me yeah. because then the the PDGA forfeits all their control. And if, like, like that's literally the exact quote, well, USDGC is not our thing, right? Incorrect. The PD, It's a PDGA major. It is your thing. It yeah. is the PDGA's thing. You just thing. don't own it. You just don't own it. You have no control over it. Well, that's what
1: I'm saying. Like, it's it's a bummer, but, like, that whole thing is gridlocked because <laughs> unless somehow, like, and it was never giving that up because why would they? they they're they going to have to be bought out, basically. That They're going to have to... Somebody is going to have to, and I don't even know. There's no real. I'm sure there's no contract structure because they created the event. It's not like they bought it. So, like somebody is going to have to bring an offer to the table, whether that be the PDGA. It would have to. It would be, have PDGA, to be the PDGA. No one else can. No one else. And they're going to have it. to say, "We are going to pay this much for the rights to this event." That's the only way that they're getting out of that situation because innova's of us not going to hand it over. Obviously. Well, I
0: think you you would. And the event, if is, the PDGA cared enough to get it. Which in my opinion would be a good investment for them. Not to buy it, but a good investment for them to look into how do we do this? Yeah. They would need to just create a competing major and take out USDGC as a major. That's what you would yeah, have to do. That's I know, that's but that's that's the way. That's just a bummer. Unless Innova's like or I'm even fine with Innova being the title sponsor and the PDGA being like, Hey, we'll agree to keep you on as a title sponsor, the main host of the event for X amount of years. Yeah. Where you're, you're the title sponsor, you're the presenting sponsor, but we need to own the event. We need to take it on to where we're uh, doing it.
1: I just don't see anybody you know, giving it up. And like, yeah, like the competing major thing, it it it's such a bummer that like this is like the only event. Like every other event in disc golf, that if it was owned by a company and PDGA said we're just going to create our own one, I'd be fine with. But because because of Winthrop being like the iconic U.S. course, like. I would I would be so bummed out.
0: <laughs> well, like the tough part is if I'm dynamic and I own I own the glass blown open, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm upset because there's there's no like I'm not a major, so like I can't. There's no way that dynamic can own a major. There's no way discraft can own a major now. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no way they well, they can put it's, their it's, name on the world championship and sponsor it and stuff, there's but there's no room for anymore, but they can't own it. Right. So there's always going to be this thing of like, no one else will be ever be able to do USDGC merch. No one else will be able to do you. You can put like, you could put uh, Eric Oakley, one time USDGC champion on a dynamic disc or Paul Macbeth, three time USDGC champion on a, a force or something. But you couldn't ever create merch. You couldn't ever capitalize on the event. And so it's. And there's also, you can't vend there because Innova controls who's vending there. Yeah. All of that stuff should go away. It should be a PDGA owned, PDGA owned event. If the main pro shop wants to be only Innova and Innova's the title sponsor, cool. But the fly marts and stuff, there should be. Every company should be able to be there, represented at the USDGC. There's normally so many fans there. Yeah. It, it's. To me, it's a. Uh, almost a bad not really a bad look but a bad thing for the sport to have a manufacturer own one of the majors and fully control one of the majors to where they can do their own thing they can charge 20 30 40 dollars for pay-per-view as a pdj major yeah
1: i mean yeah i i completely agree in the fact that the situation is unfortunate but i also am not going to fault Innova whatsoever because
0: I'm not faulting Innovo. Yeah, because this isn't. This is smart, not yeah, It's thing.
1: smart business, and they, in fairness, they do a good job with the event. They do. They, they do a it, great job.
0: They run it well. I thought they did. They they the event. The event itself. They run perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. I don't know why I said it that perfectly. way. Perfectly. The design of the course, I think, has some question marks to it's it. It's all right.
1: Um, well, I was more some of, towards the coverage.
0: I was gonna say <laughs> the, the coverage and some of the other stuff we'll get to in a second has some question marks to it. Yeah, but you, there's an, there's not really an event that treats players as professionals right. as much as the USDGC does. Right. So this is not, I'm I'm not coming at Enova. I don't want no. that to come across as I am. I'm coming at the PDGA for not take or not even coming at them. I'm saying the pdj needs to own this major, and they if they're not going to own it, they need to at least say if you want to be a PDGA major you have to enforce our current rules. I understand like X majors and stuff like that. Like the collegiate disc golf is a PDJ am only major, but pros are allowed to play in it because of the, yeah. the rules of collegiate disc golf. That's a little bit different, you know, because the the rules of the game didn't change mm. the USDGC, the rules of the game change and, and mainly in stroke and distance. I think that's pretty much the only one and their reasoning behind it makes sense. Cause imagine whole 17 without stroke and distance. It's just like a a normal island hole where you proceed to a drop. Honestly, zone after one. yeah. Honestly, if I'm the it PDGA,
1: yeah. If I'm the PDGA, I would just add clauses to the rules that allows you to select a way an island hole can be played and things like that, like of that nature, to make it so that um, the, the US DGC can be PDGA compliant, and then just be like, and then mention it to them. Just be like, this isn't really. You're not gonna. We're gonna work with you. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna make this work. But then we want you to use our rules and.
0: I mean that's pretty they much that. it. Yeah. That's pretty much the only one. Because that's not
1: hard to do. They can do really. I
0: mean, there's weird things like I just read today hole seventeen, if you're on the island and you're safe on the island and mm-hmm. your putt goes OB, you still don't play line of flight. You reput.
1: That one doesn't make sense. That's crazy. That's a dumb It's one.
0: on the T sign, if you don't believe me. Yeah, that's dumb. That's crazy. But stuff like that, that's just it's against the PDJ rule. So how how is a PDJ major playing against their rules? And it is tough because it's the most prestigious title to, you know, a lot of extent. It's the title with the most history, Mm -hmm. again, to a lot of extent. Um, Because, I mean, the world champion, I think the the difference is it rotates. Right. So, like, world doesn't have this history behind the course. You can't.
1: Like, world champion has history, but, like, the world championships, like, doesn't necessarily have the same because like when you of think of uscgc
0: you you think of people crumbling on hole 17 you think right. of the pressure on that you think of you know the hole one even though we lost it last year it's back you, you think yeah. of all these things And i don't
1: i don't mind events moving don't get me wrong something that ball golf does that's like kind of cool is they will do kind of a rotation and a rotation that might take 20 years to even get back to a course that's been there before but they'll like visit courses they've been before like there are certain courses you associate with certain majors um and that's kind of cool like i'd like i'd like to you know see a world championships like 20 years down the line be like oh i remember when they were there you know 2015 and like yeah that's a good world's course like i think that's kind of cool
0: yeah because then you can kind of
1: look back and see like what happened at certain holes like oh i remember when they played this last time yeah
0: one thing good about worlds rotating is and hopefully this is coming tourism it's good for tourism, yeah, and it also allows it to go overseas, which True. hopefully will happen soon. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a world championship. I don't understand why. I, I get that the majority of the field is going to be from the U.S., but yeah. if you put it in Finland, the top pros in, from the U.S. that have a chance at winning are going over there, and then you're still going to have a full tournament from a great crop of Finnish oh, pros. sure, yeah. Or even just European pros in general. Yeah. So to me, if it's rotating, I think it goes like East Coast, Midwest, West Coast, Finland, maybe somewhere else in Europe, back to East Coast. Yeah. And then you just keep, like, have it on some type of cycle. I'm but very
1: excited to have the European Open back. Yes, I mean, The European majors are so European good.
0: European Open is similar to USDGC in how good it treats. And they stay at the same course, right? It's
1: always at the I'm Beast, pretty sure. It? Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah, USDGC and European Open are really good majors.
0: Now, I do want to talk about the course a little bit. I feel like every year we hear more and more backlash against the USDGC for course design. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously last year there was an anomaly in what was holes three and four, but I'm not going to worry about those because those are gone. They scratched. They went back to one and two. Yeah. What's your opinion on the amount of ropes and ways that they make the course hard? Do they overdo it?
1: Um, I will say this. I'll applaud the USDDC for initially designing a course that for the most part has held up to today's competition from literally I'm reading this article today and Barry Schultz is talking about how on 18 he threw his DX beast. Like the game has changed a lot. A lot of of it is because of the equipment. And for the most part, it's kept its structure. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with because the event is so prestigious, guys just play nervous out there. Like whole, the old hole one, I love the old hole one. I'm talking about the straight little putter shot because guys would miss that hole all the time because it's you got jitters yeah and like that's you know you're a good event when you can be difficult just because of how much people want to win
0: just because it's usdgc just because it's the name right even when we were playing dean's cup which had nothing to do with the usdgc it's nerve-wracking but you were on the course and you heard your name called by the same guy yeah your nerves skyrocketed
1: yeah it's even
0: just stepping up to 17's t in a practice round you look at it and you're like yeah because there's just history behind it that's right. the biggest thing is the history behind that course but
1: as far as like adjusting it though no. like the ropes um i don't i've never had a pro- i love like having all the rope to be and they've made some changes like you can you can pretty much i don't think they've tightened the ropes to a point where it's like okay come on like they're still they're still fair enough the ropes and i like the way they're placed i they will be make sense there typically the biggest complaint people get is the mozzarella sticks, the wooden poles that are um, next to certain baskets. I think they're on two, um, 16, 16. And there's one in the middle. I believe. Is it eight? Yes. So basically what they're doing with those holes is they're trying to add some kind of defense to the hole by forcing you to throw your upshot to a certain place. It seems, seems like that's the goal of mozzarella stick is like, we want you to throw your your drive or your upshot on a harder line. Yeah. Because you throw it the easier line, you're now dealing with these random wooden poles. It, a good example of that would be on hole two. If you take it over the parking lot and land on the left side of the basket, right? You are not dealing with them. Yeah. If you play towards the fence a little bit safer... Which is the more common play. The more common play, you're going to have to deal with mozzarella sticks. So like that's an example of that. And here is... If that's the goal, if that's what they're trying to accomplish with those, there's, they look so bad and they're so annoying. There, it, there's a more elegant way to do that. And I think it is hazard bunkers or areas, right? So if you land in it, you're getting a penalty stroke, but you're not putting through some wooden pole. You're just putting from where you landed in the hazard. And it still makes it so that you have to do the same thing. You have to throw your upshot a different line because you're avoiding something. So I think there's just a more elegant way to do that. And like, some sand bunkers would look like really, really nice in that course. It would fit the aesthetic. They've, their sand on um, hole six mm-hmm. looks great. Like they could, they could do that. I guess that might be confusing that that sand's not ob, but yeah. the other ones are. But that's the only problem I've ever had. I think with uh, what they've done to that course to make it more difficult. I think it's a pretty much a consensus. I mean, even even yeah. McMahon himself, you know, a top pro, despises them. I don't think I've ever heard any anybody say. They're a good addition.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dustin Keegan, I think innova posted a picture, or might have been USDC posted a picture of like hole sixteen, yeah, and said, "How are you approaching it this year?" And he said, "With a chainsaw to cut those things down, and then go back to play a real hole." Yeah, um and Eagle reposted it. Yeah, Eagle reposted it and said, "Like that's amazing." um But I, I honestly think that I might, and it sounds like you're in the same boat as me. We might be in the minority in this part of it where the ropes. As a spectator, and even when I've played the course, I've never been as a competitor, but playing the course just like warming up, they don't bother me. No. Because to me, it I get, I think the hard part is like the visual of it. People don't like, I don't like looking like, like hole three, for instance. There's no rhyme or reason to shaping the fairway the way they did. Right. Uh, it's the ropes just on the left um, to where it might be hard visually watching to tell if someone's in bounds or out of bounds. Okay. But I think that what you, you said is a good thing is like they've succeeded in keeping the history of the course together and the ropes allow them to change the course enough to make it tighter in some spots, yeah. you know, lengthen the whole landing zone, like where you want to be landing and stuff like that mm-hmm. to where they can adapt and yeah. it can challenge, consistently challenge the top of right. the game uh, over and over and over. And we've played it.
1: We've played these, these ropes. I've seen them in person. I've thrown them and they are completely fair
0: yeah and you can once you've played it and one practice round you know when, where when, yeah when you release your shot it's never it might be confusing if it rolled or not if it's in yeah. bounds or not, but when you release a shot you know where you're getting to yeah. and it, it's very challenging um and they've done a great job of that and another thing that plays into this is the fact that they use two different types of ob but mm-hmm. they do have hazard and they do have ob yeah that is something that we've pushed for on this podcast before. And I think this tournament reiterates it. I think it's great. And I think that that should be a common thing in disc golf, that there's hazard areas and that there's OB areas and that they are two different things. Mm -hmm. Because for instance, on hole three, if you're short, if you're very short, you're OB. So you're basically routine, I believe is your only option at that point with a stroke. Whereas if you're up by the basket left, you have a putt and a stroke penalty. Yeah. Now I don't advise, you know, a regular like amateur tournament, just throwing hazard into the middle of a field. But when you have something like a sand trap, if you're playing a golf course, you know, a Las Vegas challenge has done that, or you have something that that's kind of a natural hazard, you know, uh, something, I don't know what it would be in the woods, but you know, something that you can rope off and be like, Hey, if you land here, you're still playing from there because you didn't throw a great shot, but you're also penalized one Mm you I think that that type of stuff can add to where we can make courses slightly more difficult slightly more challenging make players have to think on their upshot because that's something in disc golf if you throw a good drive a lot of times your're upshot you're rewarded with just all right just get up and down it's pretty yeah. easy uh, the drives are a lot of times the difficult part where it's upshots don't have right. something naturally challenging a lot of times
1: yeah I like the idea of like defense around the hole because I'm like um, in ball golf they can obviously move the pin around to make it so like your position a isn't always just like and this is there's starting to be some courses i've seen where like your position a isn't just like okay i'm just gonna throw it and get as close to the pin it's like i'm gonna throw it and aim for the left side of the green because like i don't want to mess around with the pin that's hugging this like yeah i think that's too um a thing like pin placement uh, like near ob is like really important to making those upshots difficult because like 17 is a good example of this like obviously your strategy on 17 is not to attack the pin. Yeah. Especially when it's in that left pin. You're you're aiming to dump about 25, 30 feet right of it. Yeah, and then I want to Right. I want to see more. I want to see like, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have the pin accessible because if there's courses like that where you throw the perfect shot and then you're still 30 feet away. No, you should, the pin should be accessible, but your play should be to land a bit further out because that, that, is what will make putting more important in the game and maybe drop scores a little bit. Yeah.
0: So I I think as far as the ropes go and what they're doing with Hazard and OB, I'm a fan of. You know, yes, there's a lot of it out there, a whole, whole lot. And I could see where your first time watching, it's confusing. But as far as the mozzarella sticks, these wooden poles, I don't like them. They are an eyesore. I don't like them. I think it just kind of makes the USDGC look Gimmicky to a certain degree. Yeah, they're pretty dumb. And I just don't like anything that close to the basket. Yeah,
1: it, yeah, that's the biggest thing. They're so close to the.
0: They're basket. like within ten feet. Yeah, and, and so you have like on the FPO coverage on hole two. There
1: should be nothing within, unless you're like thick in the woods. Like, there really shouldn't be anything inside of thirty feet. Yeah, <laughs> like if you're in the circle, you should be rewarded with a putt.
0: And and then th- and that's the thing too is. It's designed for making the upshot harder, right? Yeah. But it also has repercussions outside of that to where Haley King on hole two today this morning, Mm -hmm. she had like a, I want to say like a 50 some footer that she threw. It looked perfect for her birdie. Yeah. Yeah. And then it hit a mozzarella... It just clipped a mozzarella stick and kicked to the right. Yeah. And then, you know, so that's not what that's there for, but because it's a physical thing standing up and down, it's punishing people farther back the fairway as well. Right. Um, Whereas that's not really... That wasn't necessarily the goal of putting them in. Um, And the second thing it did is it takes... uh, Still on hole two, I believe it was, Paige had like a 25-footer and had to basically do a full split Mm -hmm. to be able to see the basket. I think she still missed left because she couldn't quite see the full right, basket yeah that just makes i don't like that i think that just makes the sport look silly to a certain degree whereas it could have the same effect if Paige was putting from a hazard area or if it's a casual like if you throw right it's a mandatory casual relief area where if you might be 15 feet now you have to take relief to 27 feet yeah because you're in this mandatory relief area or something i don't know there's other ways around it that visually don't that provide the same effect score wise sure but don't visually make our sport look gimmicky yeah that's the biggest thing to me
1: yeah we just kind of avoid that disc golf is looking gimmicky
0: yeah um so i want to talk about the live coverage a little bit and then get into um some predictions you know the fpo side i don't think we really can do predictions because we watched the whole first round the mpo side though um, I think we do predictions on because we, we haven't really seen too many, no. too many scores. Everyone, everyone that's, you know, a, a powerhouse name is only when we last we saw was only a few holes in. Yeah. So we can talk about what we think is going to happen, but live coverage. I went on the record a, little, a few weeks ago and I said, look, I have no problem with the payment, the $20, $30, $40 uh, structure. As long as the quality is there and is better than the disc golf network provided because of this price point, point. and unfortunately it's awful it did not start good um it did not start good at all um and it wasn't like th- what's tough is i don't think it was the people behind the scenes it. it was the mm-hmm. switcher the switcher yeah was struggling this morning i i don't want to fully rate their stream because we do still have several days but it, it gave me a little bit of flashbacks to the pro tour when they tried to bring it all in house yeah. for the memorial and they were working out the kinks live on air and it's like no 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 like especially in this case i i paid 20 bucks to watch this i'm not paying to watch you make mistakes and figure out this thing getting paid for a polished product yeah i i paid for you to already Mm -hmm. have this worked out right so this morning for instance fpo hole one you know they had the intro it looked good they cut to hannah Macbeth and juliana corver they talked they were very nothing everything was going good they were doing good. They yeah. had some good topics, time filler wise. Cuts over to hole one, introduces the the players. Um, that's when things kind of were like, uh, "What's going on?" So the cuts were not very smooth. No. Um, the transitions weren't very smooth. The players, the shots of the players, I, starting on hole one, but then several times throughout the round, out of round, focus, out of focus. <laughs> yeah. To where I'm like shooting Trevor clearly, but then like some random guy on his phone in the background was in focus, and right. so I'm like. You're drawing my eye to that random guy by accident. Yeah. Also, players would throw. This was the
1: worst crime of the whole thing.
0: And it would stay on the player.
1: You would not only like sometimes it would happen right as they're releasing the disc and then switch. But like I want to see the flight. I want to see it come out of their hand. Like I don't want to see like their reaction. Well, and there
0: then, was times where you didn't even sometimes you, you didn't, didn't see, see it at, it at all. all.
1: Yes. The commentators, the poor commentators like you got Hannah and Joanna Corver are like having to speculate what yeah, may they, have happened they had by no looking idea. by looking at the player's reaction and like honestly they did best they could like i felt so bad for them i would have been really upset because i'm like yeah and they're having to look at u disc to see where that shot yeah landed. that happened multiple times where like, juliana corver
0: oh was like well judging on her body language that looked like it, it might not have been a great shot and then Hannah was like yeah well looking at my u disc it appears it's off the fairway.
1: And like, good on you for at least looking at your disc. Like that was yeah. smart. Cause like,
0: props to you to being able to recover that a little bit. Yeah. But that was frustrating for us as a viewer because that's bad. Yeah. Not even the commentators knew where this disc went.
1: If I, yeah, I'm telling you right now, it's day one. But like, if I'm watching round four and somebody throws an important shot or a putt and I don't see it, I'm gonna be real
0: mad. As the round went on, it seemed to get better. At the beginning of the round, they also cut to a drone shot. And then they tried to throw up a scoreboard graphic that flashed on the screen and went away and then flashed on again and then they cut away from it. Yeah, some of the graphics were a bit choppy. Um, so that was weird. Uh, they also had the hot mic on the camera constantly on. And to the point that at the beginning, the first few holes, you couldn't hear Hannah or Juliana Corver at all. Mm-hmm. Like they, they would... Yeah. You know, your guess is as good as mine is what they said. And my audio on my Mac was all the way up and all I could hear was birds chirping and... You know, you could hear the players throwing great and the wind, you could hear that real good, but you couldn't hear the commentators. Mm -hmm. Um, They seemed to fix that a little bit before the men teed off. Um, But, you know, it just, it, I wanted to like it. I really did. Because especially you're asking who knows how many people paid 20, 30 or $40. And it honestly, it, it seemed like Smashbox coverage from like five years ago. Like when Smashbox was just getting like their groove in live to where like no, they were just experimenting with a bunch of stuff, no Mm -hmm. one had it figured out. That's kind of what it felt like. Except for now, we're five years later and we have this figured out Mm -hmm. to where like we watched the Inside the Arena uh, middle show, and the graphics were just like the cuts were so smooth, so much smoother. The graphics you know, in the audio mixing,
1: there's still so a few issues, but it was much better. Yeah. Everything, much less, noticeable. everything was
0: more refined and right. it's because they've been doing it all year. Right. So to me, they should have just had the disc golf network do it. Yeah. And you know, maybe you make the subscribers pay a little bit extra to get the USDGC coverage, but at least, you know, you have a team that's been doing this and knows it. And then, um, uh, when the MPO started, um, you know, there there was a little bit of audio, you know, here and there, the biggest thing was uh, Ian and Philo didn't seem prepared to fill as much time as they needed to fill. Yeah, but that's just that, well, they're
1: taking direction, I think, from their headset. Yeah, that like, would be tough. That's really hard to like be able to talk, 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 like when you're live, hear something, keep carrying a conversation, and like also tie in what they're saying. It's a lot at yeah. once,
0: especially if. I believe this is Ian and Philo's first time doing live commentary.
1: I could yeah, be wrong on that.
0: I've, They've done commentary for Central Coast several times right. before. Um, and I think, the I obviously, we're missing the stream right now. I think they will do a great job of the actual commentary sure, part. Sure, yeah. But I think just starting it off, they are a little nervous. Um, but I really hope, and there's also a few picture-in-pictures issues. There was a bunch of, like, little issues that just added up to make the stream, like, not A
1: lot less great. than $20 or and 30 or 40
0: So I'm hoping if, if by the final day it is refined, we did get a lot of coverage of the Chase Guard. We were getting a lot of disc golf, I will say that. That's true, yeah. There was a lot of disc golf. Mm-hmm. It was good from that aspect. So if by the final day this stuff can be worked out, then next week on the podcast you will get a much happier version of me. But as yeah. of right now, um, and it wasn't just me, I heard several people on... Facebook on our Discord, you know, people were pretty frustrated because you, you know, you have a little bit of monopoly on this coverage that we all want to see. The only major of the year, and you're asking us to pay a lot more than we've been paying for coverage. So we're going to hold you to a little bit higher standard. Right. And unfortunately, the first few hours was that standard was not met. Hopefully, the remainder of the tournament will be, but it was it was a little bit disappointing Mm -hmm, to say the least. Yeah. So, um, FPO side, you know, if you're worried about spoilers, there's your warning. I don't know. I don't think you could be worried about spoilers because, I mean, we've got two weeks until someone who's not paying for live is going to see this coverage. Right. I guess someone who pays is going to watch Condense the next day. Yeah. Maybe. Paige Pierce went off. I think she has a five-stroke lead currently. Four. Four Four-stroke. Ten down to six down. Cat birdied 18. Um, But, yeah, ten down, popped off first round. Trina Allen's at six down, um, and then Missy Gannon, I believe, was Heather Young. Heather Young was three, three down. Missy down. Gannon was even. Yeah, I think so. Um, so that's kind of the, cha- the lead card going into tomorrow. It's basically, Cat's hanging on by thread.
1: Yeah, she's it, still there. It's not over yet. The but good thing is, Paige looked pretty good.
0: They're playing. Yeah, Paige looked very, very good. Yeah, um, they are playing pretty much Winthrop. We won't call it Winthrop Golds because some of the tee pads are shorter, but the ropes are up. It's not an easy course. The teeth are still out there. For sure. Um you can't blow up on seventeen as much because they do have like a drop zone after the first shot and stuff like that. Yeah. But there's still a lot of strokes you can lose out sure. there to OB. Sure. Um I believe a player, I won't say their name, a player I believe even took like a fourteen on hole nine well, because it's an island green. Yeah. And you gotta just keep going.
1: Somebody in the MPO did as well. It took a nine on, on that hole. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> So the the tournament, even though Paige had a extremely strong first showing um, it's not like some of the other tournaments where that immediately makes it over, right? Because even if she it had could a four stroke,
1: another performance like that tomorrow, if f- she had an, it's over. If then. she
0: had an eight stroke with two rounds to go, probably. Yeah. But if Cat's Cat is able to, or Missy Gannon goes off, or Heather Young's able to, or someone comes from Chase Card, if someone's able to stay within four or five strokes, even going into the final round, the possibility still there. Sure. Um, now on the MPO side. Who do you have taking this thing down? Let's just go top three. Who do, Who is your top three uh, on MPO coming into this?
1: Um, top three, I think Paul's going to win. Um, I know he has to want it really bad being the only major this year. And I, I'm i probably going to say Ricky second, Heinberg
0: third. So I have my, my top three is the exact same, but different order. Um, I do think Paul's going to win. Uh, because like you said, it's the only major of the year. Um, I I think he's going to be ready to just come out there. He's going to be ticked off about last year. Uh, he's, this is the scene last year where his ankle finally, like officially kind of broke, um, to the point that it's still hurting him this year. Um, obviously he's been able to play fine. It's not affecting his play too much. Uh, he had to take the brace off because that was affecting his play. But, you know, I think he's going to be very hungry for this title. And when Paul is very hungry, especially when he's playing at a, a, a normal Paul level, uh, it, he's hard to beat. Yeah. Um, so I do have Paul winning. I think Calvin is going to be right behind him, though. Calvin has just, you know, he's been on the scene for a while. But this year, he's kind of pulled ahead. And actually, I'm going to switch it up. Um, Am I? No, I'm going to put Ricky in third. I was debating on Eagle because Eagle had a very, very strong showing here last year. Uh, well, it was last year that he broke his hand, right? Yes. I think he was in the lead or in second uh, when he unfortunately punched the ground and broke his hand. Um, but, you know, he's back. He doesn't have anything left over from that. The A sidearm naturally plays very well at Winthrop, and he has a very large, big, booming sidearm. So I think he's going to be up there. Um but I'm not going to put him in my top three just because I think that Ricky, I think Calvin is on a little bit of a hot streak still. And I think that Ricky is also going to be extremely hungry because this time last year he was dealing with limes. This is the Mm -hmm. start of his lime. Um, so I just think there's, there's too many external motivators to where Paul and Ricky, uh, are going to be up there. Calvin's just kind of proven he's going to be up there. And I would not surprise me for Eagle to sneak in up there as well. Sure. Um, Outside of those players, you know, there's there's always someone that's shocking at USDGC. That's one of the beauties yeah. of the tournament itself. There's always someone that's up there. Could be anyone, but uh, that's my top three. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I almost snuck Eagle in, but I'll stick with Paul first, Calvin second, Ricky third.
1: Can't go wrong with that.
0: All right. And uh, we're going to head into the final segment of this show. I believe it was USDGC themed. It is USDGC themed, which is make that call. So basically what happens is I go into the PDGA rule book. I find a rule of some sort that I think is interesting and I see what call Trevor would make and then let you know and him know if it's the right call. So you're on hole seven at USCGC. Okay. The bamboo. Right. Trouble Mando. Okay, Yes. One of your card mates throws a backhand, mm-hmm. skips through the Mando and then cut rolls back to where he's up against the Mando. Okay, he's a a little bit off of it, but he's up against the Mando. Um, In order for him to to feel like he can get a good stance and a good putt, he decides to hold on to the bamboo structure as he throws his disc. Is that legal?
1: Okay. I've heard of this rule before. Um, I'm trying to remember... The exact wording. Okay, so he's through the Mando. Where is he leaning?
0: He he just he came through the Mando, skipped, rolled back, he's like
1: He's leaning against the back of the wall. He's not
0: leaning against it. He's just pinched up against it. So in order for him to stand where he's comfortable, he he decides to hold on to the wall so he can get a good So basically he's using like He's using the bamboo wall to support himself. Right. Okay,
1: so my only wonder I'm only wondering if they're is a difference between like it being a man made structure or just using a tree in the woods? Cause I've definitely seen, I've definitely seen it where you're able to use, as long as I think, as long as you're not using it to like, I know you can't like fall forward and like hold on to something like to catch your balance. But I think if you're doing it, like if you're holding on to a tree, like I've seen that and I've seen that be legal before. So I wanna say, and, like, that object is technically inbounds that he's holding on to. I'm going to say, yes, he's able to hold on to it.
0: Correct. So, this is actually from the USDC yeah, handbook. It says, yes, but only if the bamboo is farther from the hole than the lie.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: Also, well, because you can't support yourself in front. So, that's kind of what you were saying. Like right, you can't yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you could, you could, in theory, if your hand's behind and you're holding on, you could have your front foot leaning in front as long as you don't put it on the ground. Because I've
1: seen guys, yeah, like, hang forward. Because they have to, to like whether they're leaning out over a creek or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. I've seen that before. Yeah, so you can support rule. yourself
0: with something behind it if you're holding on. I've, I've never tried it. It looks so illegal. Yeah. The reason I knew it was legal was I saw, um, it was someone, at it was a European tournament, I believe this year, and someone held on to the sign behind him, like yeah. a sponsorship sign to support himself as he leaned forward. And I was like, that's illegal. And yeah. I was sitting next to Paul, and Paul's like, no, it's not. And I was like... <laughs> yeah Clearly. it's a weird one i've it's seen a that one. a
1: couple times but
0: here's another thing in it that i honestly couldn't so they said that also player must demonstrate full and control balance uh per 806.01 b if the lines in this, within the circle so basically if they're in the circle they can't fall forward that's not the weird part um i don't know i couldn't find this in the PDJ rule book but i feel like I, I feel like this is in the PDJ rule book and it's in the usdgc caddy book but that doesn't necessarily mean it's in the rule book um but it's in the caddy book Players are also allowed one meter of relief perpendicular to the mandatory line closer to the target after having passed correctly through the mando. I couldn't find that in the PDJ rulebook, but I feel like that's just a normal rule that like the the mandatory line you can almost treat as an OB line. So like if you're up against it, you could take a meter relief off. That's true in the USCGC. You it say
1: no closer to the basket?
0: No, it says towards the basket.
1: So you can... Oh, yeah, mandatory you mandatory line you can closer do that to the in, target. You can do that with OB as well.
0: Yeah. Um... I couldn't find it in the PDGA rulebook. I might have been searching the wrong terms. Well, it's a
1: bit of a unique... Um, it's a bit of a unique mandatory because normally you wouldn't have to do that, but it's because the mandatory is literally a wall. Yeah. Because normally mandatory is a tree, so it's not But the really line necessary. might
0: be to the right of it, so you could take a meter in. It's I don't know. If someone is able in the comments, whether you just know it or you're able to find the rule and quote it, yeah. I'd be very interested to hear that. Because if you were leaned up
1: against that wall, like you would n- almost need it.
0: Yeah, but if there's a Mando close to a basket somewhere... That could be a very helpful rule to know. It's like, oh, I sure. get a meter off of this. Sure. Yeah, I I feel like I've heard it before. It might have just been in this scenario previously reading the caddy book. Um, but if you know the rule, and that is a rule, please comment it down below. And other than that, guys, that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Grip Locked. Hopefully you enjoyed. Um, be sure if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review over there. Uh, We have 120-something reviews, I believe. Um, Let's get that number up to 150 or even 200 reviews. Um, Just let us know what you like, what you dislike. We read every single one of them. Uh, If you also want to leave your feedback and you listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, feel free to tweet at us, at FoundationDG, or message us on Instagram, Discord, anywhere like that to give us your feedback. Or if you're on YouTube, just comment it right down below. We read all of those as well and try to engage with them uh, when pertinent on top of that Mm -hmm. so i think that's going to be it um no big foundation news as of yet but be sure to tune into our social medias because there there are some things coming in pretty soon that we're excited about and can't wait to show you Mm -hmm. all right we will talk to you guys next week